if I ever ate food or drank something else that wasn't alcohol, that made me feel the way that I felt for almost 20 years drinking alcohol, I would immediately stop consuming that substance or food. Like, why are our minds so hyper-focused on the fact that we need to consume alcohol? Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to diagnose advise or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. And I want to offer a trigger warning today. We'll be talking about drinking alcohol. So if you or someone you know needs help with substance use disorder or any sort of addictions, you can call 800-662-HELP in the U.S. for the National Helpline. That said, I have and having the conversation that we're going to have today with so many people recently, especially since Holly Whitaker's New York Times bestselling book, Quit Like a Woman, like came out gangbusters a couple of years ago. And many people have tried abstaining or doing dry January since then and are just genuinely sober mm-hmm. curious, I find. I myself haven't been drinking for a few years. And I find that oftentimes instead of the pushing, oh, you should just have it at a party, people are like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. So today we get to talk more about that in a friendly setting with two guests. So listeners, you're very lucky. I want to introduce you to Molly Desh. She is at As You Are Life Coaching. And you can also find her on Instagram as sober underscore mober. Is that right? Mober? Yeah. Mober. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And also this is Sober Podcast. And we'll put all the links and everything in the show notes for you so you can follow up. I know both of our guests have different sort of tools that you can look into and follow up. And we'll touch on that at the end of the show in case you want to learn more. But Molly is joining us. And then we also have Ali Vaughn, who you can find at livingmywholelife.com or livingmywholelife on Instagram. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Thanks, Stacey. Hi. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having us, Stacey. So I want to kind of give our listeners a little bit of an introduction to both of you. And I don't often have two guests. So Listeners, have patience with all three of us as we work through how to best have a conversation with good cadence. But Molly has been featured on CBS and NBC News in Real Simple, Woman in Home, Scary Mommy. Her journey led to the realization that she had to or needed to get sober and took it one day at a time, slowly developing new coping mechanisms, which, side note, is a term I really want to talk about because I use the term maladaptive coping mechanism all the time and I don't think people really understand what that means and showed up to AA reading all the quit lit she calls it that she could get her hands on and it wasn't unicorns and rainbows but 
ended up being the best decision she's ever made and is now a certified women's sober coach who focuses on coaching women to free themselves from alcohol with renewed energy, confidence, and pride using her sustainable path to sobriety program. And Molly, I would love if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself or how you determined that alcohol wasn't really serving you in a positive way. Wow, what an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I actually started drinking pretty early at a young age. I was a very shy teenager trying to get in with the cool kids and quickly learned that alcohol, you know, it loosened me up. It helped me kind of step into the person that everybody else thought was fun and cool. And, you know, that that went on for a few years in college. And then as I I got to into adulthood, I realized, oh, well, adults do these things too, right? Everybody's going to happy hour. This is like the thing that you do when you get into corporate America. And so it just continued to help me feel accepted. Like I was in the in crowd. This is what the fun people are doing. And it just kind of became something that was just like accepted and everybody is doing it. And then later on, it's funny because it actually transformed from uh, Molly gets to be this different person to this is just how I cope with everyday life. Like this is just my thing. I didn't question it. You know, it's everywhere. It's on TV. It's driving down the road. It's, you know, it's literally everywhere. It's like you can't go to a store and find a T-shirt that says like, you know, it's Bobby wine time or whatever. And so it was just so normalized. And like I said, I just didn't question the amount of alcohol that I was drinking. My husband drank. All my friends drank. It's just so normalized. It was an everyday thing. I would get off work. I would stop at the liquor store on the way home. I would have a couple roadies on the way home, you know, just to prepare for that, you know, kind of like witching hour. You know, the kids are hungry. I've got to make dinner. My husband's home. You know, just all that, just trying to get through the day. And I got divorced about five years ago. And that just opened up this weird time in my life where nobody was really watching me anymore. So I'm like this single mom. My kids are away at their dad's. And so I had like all of this unsupervised time, if you will. And I kind of just let it all go. And things were just getting really bad. Like you said, it was a have to type of thing. Like I was going on two, three, four day benders, just like waking up at 730 in the morning and just drinking the first beer or whatever, just to chase away the hangover because it kind of makes it go away, you know? And it really just brought up the fact that, okay, this is really just kind of out of control. My son intervened a little bit. He was gosh, he was probably 12 at the time and was just like, hey, I just want you to come home. I don't know what's going on. And literally it was like the universe just struck my head and was like, all right, it's over. And that's what I, that's when I decided like, this is it. I'm done. I need help. I reached out to my mom. She came, stayed with me for a couple of weeks. I was able to take short-term leave from work which was great. So I took like seven weeks off work, just focusing on myself to get sober, going to A, reading all the books, like all of that. 
And like you said, yeah, it was the best decision I ever made. It was hard as hell, but like there's nothing that I have accomplished in the last four years would have happened if I wouldn't quit drinking. That is 100% fact. Well, thank you for sharing your story. And I think one of the reasons that I thought it was powerful for you both to be on today is because Ali's story is a little bit different. And so I think when we as individuals look at our own self-reflection or perhaps other people in our lives that we care about, you know, it doesn't have to be someone having a 4D vendor or, you know, something like to evaluate if this is the right thing for you. And we'll, you know, we'll go into the science of this and also just kind of what's happening in culture about it. I want to introduce the idea of Ali being more of someone who quit because it aligns kind of with my own story. And she is a certified professional coach and transformational embodiment facilitator with a Bachelor of Science in Human Nutrition with years of professional experience in the nutrition industry. And Ali's journey is different than Molly's in that her lived experience as being over a year and a half free was like completely voluntary for health reasons. So I think like many of us, I know this is where kind of my story aligned when turning 21 and let's be real, really before that for many of us, it became like the cool thing to do, which I think, you know, Molly kind of talked about and normalized in society, but it then turned into something that, you know, created unwinding, taking the edge off. And with the pandemic, the volume of drinking increased. And I know this is the story of a lot of people that I've talked to, which then also increased anxiety. So it got so bad that it became something that Allie took note of and found herself in an alcohol-induced panic attack and was like, you know what? Never mind. I'm done with this, which I can also relate to. So I think it would be great, Ali, if you can share a little bit more about yourself and how your story is a little bit different, but also how you determined that alcohol wasn't serving you in a positive way. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to share. So yeah, as you mentioned, I voluntarily quit alcohol due to health reasons. So my health reason was anxiety. And during the pandemic, my anxiety shot up as did my drinking. And so it took me a second, but I finally was able to make that connection that one was causing the other and it was alcohol that was causing my anxiety to go up. I mean, yes, the world was also a little bit nerve wracking at the time, but truly it was the alcohol that was making my symptoms much worse than they ever had been years prior as a pretty, I would say moderate drinker. But the sensations and symptoms I felt from alcohol weren't brand new. I had, I always consider myself a very sensitive person, sensitive soul. And I have always experienced symptoms of like hangover, headaches, you know, nausea, lack of sleep when I drank. And I still continued to do it. And it's funny thinking back because if I ever ate food or drank something else that wasn't alcohol, that made me feel the way that I felt for almost 20 years drinking alcohol, I would immediately stop consuming that substance or food. Like, why are our minds so hyper-focused on the fact that we need to consume alcohol? Well, it's because mainstream 
media and our society has told us since we were very little watching, you know, our elders consume these beverages during celebration and all the life events. So we were something we looked forward to. So I never considered giving alcohol up 100%. Like it really, truly for the all those years of feeling so ill, <laughs> I never thought like, oh, I could give this up because in my head, for people who do need to abstain 100% were the people who truly needed to, like the half two moments, the really, if I don't stop drinking, my life is over sort of thing. So in my head, I didn't want to take that route because I was afraid of judgment. I was afraid of what will people think of me? Um, but the longer I kind of continued this internal battle of, wow, like this is really not good for my body. I started to wake up to the idea of maybe I don't need a rock bottom moment. Like maybe I can just say, I think that alcohol is bad for me and I'm going to step away and I'm going to stand in my truth and have this conversation with others. And that's truly what my mission and my goal is at living my whole life is to connect with other women, other people, and just share the information because the information isn't really readily available. There is a big industry that is hiding a lot of it. And I really just want to keep the continuation or the conversation going and continue to see that pendulum shift a bit because truly when that happens, more and more people will begin to wake up to what alcohol truly is. And we are going to get into what alcohol truly is because side note, alcohol is a poison. Alcohol is literally ethanol, which converts into a worse poison in your body. And it does some crazy things. And I cannot wait for us to share them all with you today. Right. I think it's funny looking back as well and being like, wait, I was intentionally making my body sick. Like what you're feeling when you're intoxicating it intoxicated is you know being sick essentially and so that's why we wake up feeling dehydrated on all of these things so I think my story is pretty simple I think a lot of listeners know but I want to kind of recap that you know I just I simply don't like the way that I feel with alcohol I noticed that it increased my anxiety especially when I went to sleep it really increased my depression for days I had low energy, headache, dehydration, and those things caused vertigo for me. So I would end up feeling like I was still drunk like days later. Nothing felt worth it. Like I had generally tapered off, but was still socially drinking because that felt like I didn't want to give up that social aspect. And we're going to talk about how you can still enjoy some social life without alcohol. But for me, during the pandemic, I made a rule with myself that I was not going to drink in quarantine because I knew that it was a slippery slope. I'm the mom of four teenagers. I was doing virtual homeschool. My husband was working nonstop. And the stress and isolation could have really led to like daily drinking. And it just wouldn't have been good for me. And so I also had done research that showed that Studies showed that the outcome was worse for people who consumed moderate amounts of alcohol with the flu. And so I was like, well, I can only assume that means that it's also going to decrease how someone would process if we were to get COVID. And ultimately, we did end up getting COVID three times, and I'm glad I didn't have any alcohol in my system. So I just didn't want to mess around with it. And once it was out of my system, then I could really see how much better I felt when I was staying sober. 
And it inspired me to then be like, no, even though I'm at a social event, I don't really want to feel that way tomorrow and chose to not drink now that the world has opened back up. And I will add that I am someone who has lost a brother to self-medicating from mental health challenges. And he became addicted to a multitude of substances that included alcohol that ultimately took his life. And so this is a topic that is really important to me and something that I hope more people pay attention to and become aware of. And it doesn't mean that it has to go to that extreme. It can be like Ali and I, where we're just like, we don't really feel great. And if you're trying to be as healthy as you can, is there a place for this in your life or at least to be aware of how it's affecting your health? Or it can be something that could really be devastating to your life. And Molly's experience of kind of feeling like life isn't going to go the way that I want it to if I don't make a change now. So, you know, it could be somewhere in between, but I think that we all ourselves have this choice to make because it is, as we alluded to, everywhere all the time. And it's important to kind of know. I think what was fascinating to me is I was doing the research for the show. The World Health Organization had a webpage that talked about like, essentially, they were like, why don't people understand that alcohol is so bad for them? And they, like they were talking about it from the perspective of we really need to do a better job of educating, which I think aligns to the Hollywood book that we are referring to a couple of times already. And I'm sure will come up later in the show. But there's a quote that Ali pulled from her book that says, I believe that alcohol will experience its own cigarette moment, a reversal in public opinion and a rejection of it by mainstream culture. And I think we're in that revolution right now. After her book and seeing so many non-alcoholic spirit type options and the conversations that I'm having with people, I really feel like we're in that. And so I'm excited to talk more about with both of you. I know that we're going to talk about the health aspects, but I want to first start by talking about the most recent study, which is why I wanted to have this conversation today. There's a lot of people on the internet talking about it. And I know when I looked at the study, I was like, yes, finally, it's validating what I already knew to be true. And it kind of gave explanation for it. So as a means of background, it was a 40-year study and the first of its kind because it looked at individuals who had stopped drinking only for kind of voluntary reasons versus people who had stopped drinking because they had health problems from drinking. So every other study that was done beforehand, it wasn't like an apples to apples thing of people who were healthy and continued to drink and how that compared to someone who wasn't drinking but already had health issues, right? Because then if you're looking at, you know, causation or correlation of health issues, you can't really tell, is it the alcohol or is it the health issues that they already have? Which is why in some studies it was showing, oh, some moderate and mild amount of alcohol actually could be good for you. That wasn't the case. This study showed that when we took out the people who were having health issues and that's why they had stopped drinking, it was very clear that no amount of alcohol is health protective at all. And it was like, well, duh, like I could have told you that. I didn't understand why the science took so long to figure it out. So I was wondering, ladies, have you had a chance to kind of look at that study, what your take is on it? And are you as unsurprised as I was to finally see some science that supported what seemed to be what could have been common sense? 
I wasn't necessarily unsurprised. I, you know, interesting enough, I've spent my entire career trying to help people like make healthier choices, safer choices to ensure longevity and reduce risk of disease, et cetera. And it wasn't until I recently quit drinking a year and a half ago and started actually doing my own research where I started to realize like, oh, all this information that I've been told about drink responsibly and don't drink if you're pregnant and don't drink and drive and then you'll be good to go unless you develop an alcohol use disorder and then you'll have a bigger problem. But I was still in that mindset of like, well, I've been told all these years that like red wine is good for my heart. Like resveratrol is a good antioxidant. Like, you know, so I still kind of believed the mainstream media and all the stuff and the jargon that the alcohol industry put out. So the study, while it was like, finally, okay, great. Like they got rid of all the flaws. I just want your listeners to know that someone who, you know, has worked in the nutrition and health field for so many years This is all new to me as well, new being a year and a half into it. So don't feel like you don't need to feel any shame or don't feel overwhelmed by this information. Like, again, we're just trying to put this information out there and share the facts with you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not. I'm with you, Allie. Like, it's not readily available. They're not advertising it. In fact, there's some pushback. And like Canada and Northern Europe, they want to get labels on alcohol that talks about like cancer and all that stuff. And, you know, just like big tobacco, like in the quote in the Holly Whitaker book, like this is going to be a big tobacco thing. It's going to be a big alcohol thing. Alcohol is really putting money into it. So people don't have this information. And so the release of this study is huge because you know, people finally have some real hard facts that they can look to and say, oh, wow, it's really not good for my health. And then it kind of makes you wonder, like, well, who promoted those other studies? Like, where did those even come from? You know, it just kind of makes you wonder uh, who was behind that, right? The alcohol industry. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to give benefit of the doubt and say that it's probably really hard to find a study of people who are willing to or are already not drinking for no reason, right? Like it's that's not it's not a common thing. So I'm I'm gonna give the benefit of the doubt and hope (laughs) that it came from a place of good intention and a lack of good candidates, and that maybe you know they're able to kind of parse out in a different way. But the fact that it was a 40-year study to look at, you know, all-cause mortality and health effects and that we can definitively say now there is absolutely no benefit to drinking alcohol. And even if it's your biodynamic, organic, low histamine, red wine with antioxidants, it's the alcohol that causes the harm, not the type of beverage. So I want to get into the science and I know, Ali, you alluded to that earlier. And as I mentioned, I looked into a bunch of research on this. And most of the information that I took is from the World Health Organization. I also found information on CDC's website and cancer.org's website. And we put all the links and references in the show notes for you. But I want you to know that anything that I'm saying or quoting is coming from a .org, like scientific reference published study, you know, all the good things that we always talk about. It's not just like, you know, on some 
random person's blog. <laughs> Although, as a reminder, we're not medical professionals, so definitely validate this information yourself with the source. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I have personally used Indeed with great success. Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Imagine finding top talent fast with Indeed's suite of powerful tools and then having that ideal candidate be three times more likely to apply when you use Instant Match to invite, according to U.S. Indeed data. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you'll get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. I know I would have applied if they'd had that back in ye olden days when I got my career break with Indeed. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your own business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that match your must-have job requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash WholeView to start hiring now. Just go to Indeed.com slash WholeView. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to read a quote from the World Health Organization's article titled, No Level Alcohol Consumption is Safe for Our Health. And it says, alcohol is a toxic, psychoactive, and dependence-producing substance that has been classified as a group one carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer decades ago. This is the highest risk group, which also includes asbestos, radiation, and tobacco. Alcohol causes at least seven types of cancer, including the most common cancer types, such as bowel cancer and female breast cancer. Ethanol, which is alcohol, causes cancer through biological mechanisms as the compound breaks down in the body, which means any beverage containing any alcohol, regardless of its price and quality, poses a risk of developing cancer. Risks start from the first drop. To identify a safe level of alcohol consumption, Valid scientific evidence would need to demonstrate that at and below a certain level, there is no risk of illness or injury associated with the alcohol consumption, which it cannot. So this idea, I know we kind of both referred to it, that the less you drink, if it's moderate, you know, all this kind of stuff lessens the risk. And that is the case. The less you drink, the less risk you have. But it is not ever health protective, as the original study that we mentioned concluded recently. Um, but I think the idea of linking alcohol to cancer is not something that most people would know. Like, I think if you were having a conversation with somebody and you said, do you know that drinking alcohol increases your risk of cancer? They would say no. I think a lot of people know that there's a risk of it being hard on your liver, but not necessarily cancer. So the other thing that I'm going to read is that Potential protective effects of alcohol consumption suggested by some studies are tightly connected with the comparison group chosen and the statistical methods used and may not consider other relevant factors. So that was interesting that even the World Health Organization was kind of saying, hey, we see where this problem is. 
preemptively we're telling you those studies that aren't suggesting that there could be some health benefit, like we disagree with them. Um, and then from the CDC's website, they list a bunch of risks, including several kinds of cancer. So mouth, throat, the voice box, esophagus, colon, rectum, liver, breast in women, as well as risks with stomach, pancreatic, and prostate cancers. And they say all alcoholic drinks, including red and white wine, beer and liquor are linked to cancer. The more you drink, the higher your cancer risk. So Molly, as like someone who is now coaching women and helping them on this path, how many people you talk to are aware of some of these very well-known health risks? I mean, unless they've done the research themselves, they don't know at all. And I've been getting into a lot of the hormonal issues that alcohol causes as well with some of my clients. There's another healthcare professional that I work with that recommends, you know, hormonal balancing and testing of those because alcohol in and of itself increases and just like totally screws up women's hormones and the effects of that, like depression like super heavy periods or completely missed periods and then in erectile dysfunction, like the list just goes on and on, right? So I feel like it's really important. Like it's my responsibility to let them know that there are scientific facts that back up the fact like, hey, you probably shouldn't be doing this other than, you know, it makes you feel like crap the next day. Like, what does that mean? Like, why does it make you feel terrible? Why does it make you you know, make these terrible decisions. You're not chasing your dreams anymore. You feel lazy and you want to sleep. Like what is happening behind the scenes? And I feel like when you have that information, you can make a more well-informed decision. Like, wow, I really do care about my health or wow, I have any idea. That's why my periods are so heavy or my breasts hurt super bad, you know? So having that information is just like one more tool in your toolbox that you can use to be like, this is why I don't want to do that. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And to what Ali said earlier, if there was anything else in my life directly causing that stuff, I would eliminate it. Right. And so it's interesting that we know that that's in often case what's making us feel terrible the next day. But we make that choice anyway. And we're going to, of course, as always, listeners, we talk about you know, the positives and suggestions to kind of help overcome this stuff in a bit. It's not all bad. I promise. We're all thriving. Look at us. We're all thriving. <laughs> and so we're going to talk about how we can get there. But before we do that, I do think that this education element is super important. And Allie, as a health coach, maybe you can talk about some of the other things that you have found in your research and working with people have come up when talking about kind of why alcohol is so bad for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so many people spend, you know, like like I did and like you did, Stacey, so many years just feeling unwell, but just kind of accepting it and just going with the flow because they're just casual drinkers and they just, okay, they'll have a weekend here and there where they have to spend half a day on the couch. But they don't really actually recognize what alcohol is truly doing in our bodies. So like I said, when I stopped drinking, I made it kind of my goal and mission to do a, like a deep dive to figure out, you know, biochemically what is going, what's going on. And Molly brought up a really great point that, you know, a lot of times hormones are being affected and women are dealing with a lot of hormonal issues. 
But there's also so many different other things as well. Stacey, you brought up the cancer piece. If you walk away from this podcast with anything, let it be that because I feel so many of us are always trying to modify our lifestyles to, you know, decrease our risk of cancer. And this is a huge one. Like we're talking seven types of cancer. And the more that you drink, the greater your risk. So something to, again, look into the studies. The American Cancer Society says they recommend zero amount of alcohol in your life to reduce your overall risk. Another one that I guess for me was a really like big aha moment for me is I want to say that like I felt alone for so many years. I thought I was the only one that wasn't sleeping after I drank, that woke up super panicky, that when I was falling asleep, like had really like high heart rate. Again, it wasn't until I started diving into these studies and information where I realized, oh my gosh, this is actually like everybody. Maybe some people aren't as sensitive as me, but truly these pathways that alcohol goes through and destroys on its way out. One experiences it. So first, sleep is absolutely disrupted. So you may close your eyes, you may be asleep, but the studies show that your quality of sleep is totally shot. So if you wake up in the morning feeling as if you've been run over by a train, it's because truly you haven't slept. One of the big things that I looked into was anxiety and alcohol. And oftentimes you hear people call it hangxiety. So that hangover anxiety. Um, And this is due, I won't get into like all the nitty gritty biochemistry of it all, but it's due to essentially alcohol is a relaxant. And when our body's relaxed, our main goal in our body is to be in this homeostasis, this balance. And so our body shoots up these other hormones to get us back to our normal state, but it kind of overshoots. And that overshoot is what wakes us up at that 2 a.m., 3 a.m., like panicky, overwhelmed, like heart racing kind of type of feeling. Another thing that happens is with the consumption of alcohol and the consistent consumption of alcohol, you're going to see an increased level of your cortisol ratio to other hormones in the body and cortisol is our stress hormone and it is good at the right levels. But if it is elevated for whatever reason, you're going to find yourself with more anxiety. So even when you're not drinking, if you are a moderate, consistent drinker, your levels of cortisol are going to be higher. Therefore, you will experience anxiety for days to come. And I say anxiety, but also depression as well. I mean, I could keep going. You want me to keep going? Molly, do you want to add anything? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love that you touched on cortisol because it's so interesting, just the mechanics behind how our liver processes alcohol. And so I wanted to bring up cortisol because cortisol is the stress hormone and alcohol in and of itself actually creates more cortisol in your body. So your body thinks it's stressed out. It's in this fight or flight mode, right? And when we are in this fight or flight mode, some of our other organs kind of they take a break, right? They go on snooze. So for instance, your digestive system takes a pause, right? So imagine you go out to dinner with your girlfriends and you eat a big meal and you're having drinks and then you go out to the club or another bar afterwards and you continue drinking and you're like raging hungry. Like you just ate dinner, right? But you're raging hungry. That's because the alcohol has tricked your liver into thinking it's super stressed out. And we don't have time to digest that food right now. We got to take care of this stress over here. So like weight gain is really huge. That's why you like get these munchies at like, 
you know, 10 o'clock at 11 o'clock at night because your body is literally just shut down because it's trying to metabolize the alcohol. And I think you were going to touch on this a little bit, Ali, too, but the actual chemicals that gets produced when your body starts metabolizing it, the acetylide, it's so bad for you. And in women in general, they just have a lower ability to process that in an efficient manner, just women in general. So I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. It seemed like you had done quite a bit of research on that. I think what you said is good and it's good enough. And just to kind of be clear, it's like we mentioned ethanol, which is alcohol, converts to this even worse poison. So when you wake up and you're feeling unwell, it's literally because you consumed poison. And I think that is something I don't, again, I'm not sharing it to scare anybody, but it's kept me kind of really just focused on like, I don't ever really want to drink again because I'm not consuming poison and any other, well, I'm trying not to, you know, environmentally like be in touch with other toxins and all that kind of stuff. Like my, I love to just reduce that toxic load. So why am I going to put poison into my body? So when you start to make the, you know, the connection and connect those dots of like alcohol equals poison, that's why I feel really crappy. (laughs) So I think it's just a good point to bring that up. Yeah. I also kind of want to circle back on this cortisol issue because we've talked on the podcast a bajillion times about cortisol and essentially it being the apex of your kind of hormonal axis. And so if your body, as you all have alluded to, is in this flight or fight stage, it does not prioritize anything else except essential organs for your existence. And this is great from an evolutionary standpoint, because if you're running from a tiger, like you don't need to worry about being pregnant, right? It's really important, actually, that you not get pregnant because you and the baby could then die. So when your body goes into this state, no matter if you're male or female, it is going to reduce the function of so many aspects of your life. Because your body is dealing with the stress of processing the alcohol, increasing the cortisol, and that is where your body is putting all of its energy. So if you are tweaking all of your health, if you're doing like, you know, all these elimination diets and all this kind of stuff, but you're still drinking alcohol, or in my case, caffeine and coffee was also causing this cortisol spike for me, it's really important to be aware to check your cortisol and to like, there are so many tests that you can do. You can talk to a regular health professional. They can help you do it. You can, you know, I have done it with at home tests. Like, you you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can do this, but check your cortisol because if your cortisol is high, then likely your anxiety is high. Likely your gut dysfunction is low because your body's not prioritizing digestion. Likely your sex hormones, which control a lot of other activity, not just do you want to get pregnant or not, but in general, sex hormones control a lot about your health. They're also going to be dysregulated. So I know for me, as I enter perimenopause, I found that my body was even more sensitive to some of this stuff, especially the caffeine. I don't think I had as much problem with it when I was younger, or maybe I was just young and like paying attention to my body. But I know that all of this, when I was able to get my cortisol in a healthy range, which involved quitting both alcohol and caffeine. That's not necessarily the case for everybody. 
But for me, that's what it required. I find that the joy that I was chasing or the energy that I was chasing with the caffeine or with the alcohol is present all the time without needing to chase it. And I know that sounds impossible if you are currently like, I need two cups of coffee before I can get going in the day. The next time that you're able to take a vacation, quit coffee and take a nap every day during the day just to like reduce that addiction aspect. And the alcohol is the same sort of way, right? Like if it's impossible for you to kind of say the idea of stopping wine today is impossible, but you you are motivated by the conversation that we're having. There are ways to kind of like taper and build a successful foundation for yourself. It doesn't have to be like cold turkey tomorrow, although it sounds like for all three of us, that's what we did and that's what worked. That doesn't necessarily mean that's, you know, what's best for you. I will say that I have had maybe like three instances of drinking since I stopped drinking. I my dad really likes to make mimosas on Christmas morning and it's part of like our family ritual and I had a mimosa in the morning because I know that it's not going to affect like day drinking is less problematic for me when it comes to my anxiety and my head hitting the pillow at night and I'm also like okay and then I'll put just orange juice in my champagne glass and be like I still really like that he made hand squeezed orange juice and I can participate in that event without needing to champagne to it or I can add bubbles of a different I can add sparkling water right like there's all different kinds of things that I can do but I will say like the three times that I have had alcohol I have had some sort of bad reaction after because my body has been like we were really enjoying this positivity without it <laughs> like I I got the flu like immediately following drinking alcohol when I traveled in January. And I haven't had the flu in like a decade. And I know that it's because my immune system was lowered. That's because my body was focused on doing something else. The immune system wasn't as ramped up and ready to handle whatever pathogens might be coming across. And so it just boggles my mind that there are so many elimination diets that say, yes, you can drink alcohol, just not beer. Like, it's fine if you drink two glasses of wine a day because I'm like, if someone is coming to an elimination diet, they're coming to it from the perspective of trying to improve their health. And if you're saying, like, <clears throat> you can have multiple drinks a week and it's fine, I don't know how you're getting to the root of a health issue and maximizing your health if that's still at play. Like, it's just, and I know no one wants to hear this. I get it. And I love, Ali, your message of like, no guilt, no shame. I also want to say, like, we just need to be kind to ourselves and others about this. Just like I encourage listeners to live how is right for you in all aspects of life, whether it's about what you eat or how you live or anything like that. I feel the same about this. The point is to empower and give you information. Obviously, we're all talking from a biased perspective because we don't drink and you need to make the choices that are right for you. You do you. And at the same time, like be empowered with this information because I know that I was just chasing and obsessing and all of these kinds of things with trying to tweak my diet with an elimination eliminations and like just reduce what was available to me. And for years I did that and still didn't get the result of 
I now eat so many more foods, but I simply don't have coffee or alcohol. And it's a game changer. And if I knew that I could just not have those things, but I could have like a bajillion other things open to me and that my body would process them better. Like if someone had told me that years ago, I would have like kissed their feet. So I just want to like encourage everybody to kind of figure out what's right for you and then, you know, go forward without guilt or shame about it. This podcast is sponsored by Just Thrive. Use code WHOLEVIEW for 15% off at justthrivehealth.com. And if you missed episode 54 with their founder focused on heavy metals and chocolate, check it out. I loved learning the science on their scientifically backed breakthrough award-winning probiotic. It is the only product on the market with numerous peer-reviewed studies and clinical trials, which have showed that Just Thrive Probiotic reduced leaky gut and inflammation, and the spore-based formula, or soil-based if you're weary of spores after watching fungus zombies on The Last of Us, is groundbreaking in its effectiveness, guaranteed to arrive 100% alive in your gut, and has 1,000 times better survivability versus leading probiotics. It's also the only retail available probiotic containing the proprietary Bacillus Indicus HU36. This super strain produces antioxidants at the site of peak absorption for unmatched digestive, immune, and total body health support. I take this probiotic every day and recommend it to all my skincare clients because your gut health impacts literally everything. Your well-being, your mood, your digestion, a healthy gut is truly the gateway to feeling your best. Plus, it's vegan-friendly, gluten-free, dairy-free, histamine-free, and non-GMO. To try it, get 15% off when you go to justthrivehealth.com and use code WHOLEVIEW. That includes bundles and subscriptions, so definitely double up your savings at justthrivehealth.com slash discount slash WHOLEVIEW with code WHOLEVIEW. You guys have thoughts on that was a, a long soapbox tangent, which is very <laughs> no, you're good. I, I think, like yeah. being able to do things a little differently. So for me, like I was a daily drinker for many years, and I feel like a lot of people try to quit drinking and they just go about their daily life as normal, and that's not going to work, you know. So you gotta get creative, you gotta have like some really delicious, healthy beverages in the fridge. Like I go crazy and I have, you know, like three or four 12 packs of all sorts of drinks just at the ready because sometimes in a stressful day, my brain still says you need a drink. And if I can put like my sparkling water in my hand, then that satisfies that craving. You know, exercise is like so good. I mean, this is like let's do a wellness thing here on this podcast so obviously we want to promote you know physically moving your body and that looks like completely different to different people you know some people want to lift weights and hit the gym and some people just want to put on a video in their bedroom and do a little workout like as long as you're moving and doing things differently all of these chemicals that you have been I want to say like synthetically creating through alcohol are going to be naturally created and boosted and you're not going to need that alcohol anymore because like the dopamine is going to be like so high and you're just going to feel so good you're just going to feel high on life and make sure that you take things you know one step at a time like like you said you don't have to go cold turkey 
just try, you know, like a few days. Like if you have an event coming up, just try to have an alternative drink. Like you can look on, you can look on like Pinterest. They've got like tons of these like mocktail recipes that you can look up. If you're going to a bar, you can like even write it down and give it to the bartender and they can have it, have them make it for you. Or you can look to see if they have an alternative, you know, beverage list, or you don't even have to go, you know, you can empower yourself and say, is it worth it? Do I really want to go spend my evening getting drunk and feeling hungover the next day? Or would I rather just sit at home, read a book, curl up? you know, watch a movie or I choose that every time. (laughs) Oh my God, me too. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I feel like you just got to kind of change it up and just kind of think outside the box and have a lot of alternatives at bay. Allie, I think you wanted to say something. I don't remember exactly what I was going to say, but I, it's okay. No, it's fine. I agree with everything you just said, Molly. And I also just want, you know, for Stacey, for your listeners who are like, huh, yeah, okay, I think I want to start examining my relationship with alcohol or, oh, I've been drinking way too much. Like, I have a problem. I need to really get some support and some help. You essentially are stepping into a new you. And so it is going to be a time of a lot of growth. And with growth, you have to kind of be in this uncomfort for a while but just know that there are things available to support you. There's lots of the quit lit, as Molly calls it. There's so many great books. There's so many good podcasts. There's lots of sober communities growing on social media. You know, there's sober coaches, there's health coaches, there's lots of people out there that can support you. But don't let that stop you because really on the other side of, you know, either getting to a point where you're just drinking with intention. I work with a lot of women who choose, like, hey, I'm just gonna save you know, my drink, my couple drinks a year for like a champagne toast at a wedding or whatever. I'm not, you know, a lot of people don't go completely alcohol free, but yeah, you just, it's a very transformative space and time. And to just know that it's, it's worth it. Like on the other side, it truly is worth it. I would say that the past year and a half of my life has been the most transformative growth that I've experienced in my adult life ever. And I don't think it's coincidental. I agree. I know I've had a lot of different choices that I've made over the last like four years, pandemic, foster parent, all that stuff. But I think part of that is because I was putting my mind in the right place, like being willing to make the choice of what's best for me was also being willing to make these other choices in my life. And I think if you are considering your relationship with alcohol, I love the way you put that. I think you're probably also willing to consider other things in your life. And that's probably why you're listening to this podcast to begin with. And what I think you're hearing from all three of us is that this will not hold you back. It feel it might feel painful, you know, at first. It might be difficult. And when you're able to kind of move through that, you're it's like you're like going through a storm on a ship and then all of a sudden the clouds open and you're like, Oh, it's it's just like wonderful and smooth riding out here, you know, and I don't want to say I think, you know, Molly early on was like, it's not just rainbows and sunshine. It's not. I will say, however, once you get to the point where you realize how much better you feel or whatever the positive aspects that motivate you towards that choice, it is so much easier to continue to make choice because you know if i 
eat gluten, my throat closes and I have digestive distress. Therefore, when I see a cinnamon bun, I'm like, I'm sure that's delicious for somebody else. That's not for me. And it's it's not like, oh, I still want that because I know that it's going to make me feel good. So it's not hard to be like, too bad. That said, I do want to address the other element on the World Health Organization's page about how disadvantaged and vulnerable populations have a higher rate of alcohol-related hospitalization. Because I think as we are saying, do not shame yourself, do not judge yourself, have grace, have patience. We also need to do that with others. Alcohol is something that is heavily marketed in areas where people are disadvantaged or vulnerable populations. They're often in a higher stress environment, working difficult jobs for longer hours. Perhaps we can't even fathom it's genetic, you know, like a variety of things that might come up. And I think you know, when I think about, for example, my brother who passed, he has genetic addiction in his life. Like that was even more difficult for him because that is part of his DNA. And so as we become aware of alcohol being a problem, it's just really important that we not kind of judge others, especially those who might be disadvantaged or vulnerable or drinking because they are stressed. I think this would be a good point to kind of talk about those maladaptive coping skills versus good coping skills. Molly, you actually alluded to some good coping skills, and I want to I want to call them out for what they are because I feel like that's kind of a confusing term. As a foster mom, I've had so many conversations about coping skills and safety plans and stuff like that, and really just what it means is Instead of going to an activity that you do, that your body has, your body and mind has created as a safe space for you, how can you tell your body, actually, that's not the safe choice or actually, that's not the choice I want to make. I want to switch to doing this other thing. And it takes work. It takes, you know, active work to reframe and to think about these things. And that's why it's called a skill, but it is super important. And one really great one, as Molly said, is exercise because you're creating the endorphins, the dopamine, all the positive things that you would get from some of the other maladaptive coping skills, like drinking alcohol when you're stressed. Eating sugar is another that a lot of people turn to, right? Like if you're looking for a dopamine hit, like eating a piece of cake might be something that you turn to or ice cream or something like that. So, you know, as we talk about food and those kinds of things, like if you're trying to not turn from binging alcohol as a coping skill to using food as a coping skill, which can serve a purpose for a time, but if that's what you're using instead can become problematic, what is something else that you can do in place of that thing? So I'm wondering if you ladies could share some of the ones that you've used. I mentioned I took a nap when I was quitting caffeine and alcohol. Like if I hit that energy low, I listened to my body and was like, okay, I'm going to, I have the ability, I have the privilege to, with a flexible job, to be able to take a nap, especially when my kids are in school. Not everybody can do that though. So what are some of the other things that have been helpful for you? Maybe Ali, do you want to start? Yeah. I mean, 
part of the work that I do as a embodiment coach is really help people become more aware of the feelings that we're feeling and what they're kind of telling our mind to do. You know, we're all, we all feel the feelings, but it's like what we choose to do when those feelings arise. So something that was when I first became alcohol free that I was very aware of was like, look, I have to feel everything sober, you know, and like as a mom of three young kids and I have, you know, a business and then I was in school and starting a business and all the things like it was a lot to kind of come at you at once. But as I started to just really let myself sit with those emotions, like I'm feeling stressed, I'm feeling overwhelmed and just acknowledge them. But I call it basically sitting on sitting with the edge. So that edge that oftentimes makes us go drink, right? So especially like that mommy wine culture, t- culture tells us just pop a bottle of wine and ignore your kids, you're going to be fine. And so I was choosing to sit with that edge. And what what we find when we sit with the edge of emotions and we feel what we're feeling is we start to build of a resilience to those feelings. So we build a resilience to being able to just sit in overwhelm and to sit in stress a little bit longer than we would have, let's say, a couple months prior because we are we allow ourselves just to kind of to feel it for a bit. I do have some people that come to me, though, that are like, ooh, stillness is a little bit scary for me, which is, you know, kind of connected to the nervous system and fight or flight stuff. And that's a whole other topic we can talk about. But if stillness feels scary, you can sit with those emotions in exercise. You can sit with those emotions taking a nap. You know, you can say, I am aware that I'm feeling stressed, overwhelmed and anxious, and I'm going to take a nap real quick. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a walk. Another one that's really helpful is calling a friend who also is alcohol-free, who's been through it, or even just hopping on social media. I know social media gets a lot of bad rap, but honestly, there are so many beautiful connections to be made with other people who have walked through a similar journey that people are embarking on when they're choosing to be alcohol-free. I love all those ideas. I was actually going to tell a story about how when I was traveling last week, I had this moment of overwhelm that we were going to the, I was going to the Taylor Swift concert with my sister and I was at my friend Jen's house. So the two of them were there and like sitting with the edge is what I had to do. I got super overwhelmed when I realized I was going to a stadium with 75,000 teenagers and I was like, I actually don't think I want to do this anymore. (laughs) Like I didn't realize how big it was and I'm an introvert and that kind of scene is just not my scene but I really wanted to go to the concert and I wanted to experience it with my sister and so I knew that I just had to kind of like work through that and I've talked before on the show about how helpful breathing exercises are the only thing I'd add from that like sitting with it is if you didn't want to do it while you're walking or taking a nap like what I sat there and did was breathing exercises. And then I talked to my friend and my sister about what I was feeling. Right. And I was like, I'm just super stressed out that there's going to be so many teenagers there. And my sister was like, I'm going to be there. It's going to be fine. Like, we'll wait instead of going when, you know, everybody was going to be there right when the doors opened. We went a little bit later. Like, right. We came up with a plan on how I could work around. That. But the very first thing that was said was, do you want to drink? Like it was interesting to me and I became aware of it that like I was sitting there and I was feeling overwhelmed and it was like, do you want to drink? And I immediately was like, no, I really don't. <laughs> like, I really don't. So I think that then once I was able to move through that, it was like, I did that, right? I think the other thing that we're not talking about is kind of the pride of feeling 
getting through the storm cloud and being able to look behind you and be like, I weathered that storm. I didn't have to numb myself. I didn't have to do, you know, whatever it is that you maybe maladaptively did before, because this applies to a lot of different kinds of maladaptive coping skills, not just drinking alcohol. But if you're able to say like, I was able to do that, it gives you that confidence, the resilience to then be like, what else can I handle in my life? Molly, I'd love to hear not just your thoughts on this, but also I want to talk about your experience with how to talk to people about it. Like in my instance, when I was like, no, I really don't want to drink. We find ourselves in these situations, especially early on, where maybe we don't really know how to respond to someone who asked that question or if they're pushy or if they ask a lot of questions that you're not comfortable with. Like if people ask you, oh, did you have a problem? And that's not a story you want to get into. What does that look like conversationally? Well, I mean, it looks different to everybody. And you alluded to this earlier, like the more you do this, you get this confidence, right? And so I would suggest trying out these conversations with somebody that you're really close to, maybe a spouse or a best friend. You can role play and just kind of build off of that. Maybe they can throw you some curveballs, you know, encouraging you to drink or, you know, what's wrong with you? Did you have a problem? You know, like all the stories. So start like in a really safe space. That way you can kind of build confidence and you can also have get a little foresight into, well, what is this going to feel like, you know, because I feel like you can go into a situation armed with all of these possible answers that you're going to have. But until you're actually there and people are asking you, you can, you just kind of freeze and it can feel awkward. I mean, I've been in those situations before where people are offering you a drink and it's mindfully just an innocent request on their behalf, you know, because it's just so natural that we ask people like your friend or at the Taylor Swift, do you want to drink? Because that's what people do, right? But we internalize that as, oh my gosh, do they know I don't drink? Are they going to, you know, we make it like 10 times worse than the situation really is. So back to your breathing thing, like breathing is so good because it lowers so much of that stress and your cortisol level goes down. Like it's so good for you. A lot of people, a lot of the women that I work with, they're really anxious about that first social interaction that they're going to go out. And I always encourage them. Like at first we have a conversation like, are you ready? Do you really think that you're ready? Because for a lot of women, they think, you know, 30 days, I'm 30 days sober. I got this. I can do this. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. I would have looked back in 30 days sober. There was no way in heck that I was going to be able to go to a bar or a happy hour or anything like that and survive. So we kind of think about, okay, is this something that I really want to do? And then if people ask me, you know, get clear on your own emotional boundaries So is that something that is anybody's business? If they do ask me, you can come up with stories. It doesn't matter. I'm not here to encourage anybody to lie, but you know, it's your space. This is your story. And until you're comfortable with it, you shouldn't feel like you have to tell anybody anything. You'll get there eventually. It's kind of like coming out, you know, I mean, you, there is a lot of shame that can be built around it. And you do also think that people assume, well, you must have had a problem. You know, you must have 
hit rock bottom or something. So do I have to talk about this? You know, it's different for everybody. Some people are going to be very gung ho. I was on a podcast a few months ago and the guy's just like, he just, he's straight up like, nope, I don't drink. And this is why. And then, you know, you've got introverts like me and you are just like, I don't really want to talk about it. You know, I'd rather just avoid the conversation altogether. So it looks different for everybody and just honor who you are. You know, if you don't want to talk about it, don't talk about it. Maybe we could do a little role play before we move to what, you know, what are some of the alternatives that we've all found can bring the joy and a sense of community in those social situations. Cause I think that's kind of the last element for me is like once I made the decision and then I was back in the world, like it wasn't just about what to say, but it was also like I wanted to then find like replace the joy. Once I was at a place of like, okay, I've I found my this is what's right for me. It was like I still want to participate in these social activities or, you know, that kind of stuff. So I do want to talk about that a little bit, but I find that it's really helpful when I give real life examples. So Molly, if we were at a party and I said to you, I'm going to go to the bar to get myself a drink. Do you want me to get you one? How would you respond? Yeah, I would take a seltzer with lime, please. Oh, are you not drinking? Nope, I don't drink anymore. Did something happen? No, I just choose that I love myself and it's healthier for me just to not drink. I love it. Probably not a real line answer, but (laughs) (laughs) I think it's great. I think the other thing is that oftentimes people will then have self-reflecting guilt. Like if you say like, I'm looking after myself and the other element of that I would say is that uh, like, just be aware that if you're talking to someone who is, has a difficult time processing boundaries of distance between what you're saying about yourself and they internalize like maybe say something that isn't going to trigger them I especially the case with food right like all the people who are like food pushers because they feel guilty if they're eating cake and you're not like you know you have Mm -hmm. to like figure out how or what you're going to say in those instances and I find that you like it's about me I'm I always say because it's usually when I'm traveling I'm like Uh, The air pressure in airplanes just causes my joints and things to get weird if I drink. And people are like, oh, interesting. And it's a fact. It's not the only reason I'm not drinking. But like, that's one of the worst, like one of the symptoms that I realized was a problem for me. Right. And so they're always like, oh, okay. And that's very specific to me. And it's not like, you know, anyway, that's my. That's really good. I like that one. (laughs) How about you, Allie? What like what I tell people when they ask yeah. me if I drink or if yeah. I want to drink. I mean, honestly, I typically just say like, oh, no, I'm good. Well, I have water or I've also said, oh, I don't drink anymore for health reasons. I think that's a really good one because it's so just like it could really be a multitude of things. And then I always joke, like, depending on who's asking me, I want to respond with, well, how much time do you have? Because <laughs> I want to just share all the things and all the facts, but I haven't done that one yet. Cause I truly, again, like, like you said, Stacey, like you never want anyone to feel as if your statement that you're saying about your choice to not drink is judging them. And so I think I feel safe just saying, you know, for health reasons. And if people have more questions, which they typically don't, then I'm happy to talk about my anxiety.
Friends and family, guess what? You get my Epic Wholesale Discount right now at beautycounter.com slash Toth for their annual Friends and Family Sale. Stock up on safer SPF, skincare, safety tested against 23 human health endpoints, makeup that's not contaminated with asbestos or heavy metals. This is the best deal all year long, once a year. Switch to safer for yourself, then tell a friend because sharing is caring, y'all. I love partnering with Beauty Counter because we're getting safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws, while also giving back to people and the planet through sustainable fair trade ingredients. We literally changed America's personal care industry with Mocra. I would be doing you a disservice if I did not encourage you to take advantage of this. If you're not sure where to start, I love helping you pick out just the right thing to love the skin you're in. Email me, stacy at realeverything.com if you want help. Or go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website, and you can choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, if you already know what you want and want to take advantage of this once a year friends and family sale. Yeah, I found also, fun, funnily enough, that when I had this conversation most recently, it struck up a conversation with someone who was also trying to be alcohol free. And the fact that they like found someone that was also not drinking was like this bond between us. Right. And then at the next dinner party, it was a champagne toast. And I asked the waiter if they could bring us two glasses of sparkling water. Right. And so it's like it's it can also be a bond between people mm-hmm. necessarily. I don't want to scare people into thinking that you're going to like lose all of your friendships and connections. I still had a wonderful time with everybody who was drinking. I just chose to abstain. And then I made a deeper connection with somebody else who wasn't for very similar reasons that I was. And then it caused two people who were around us and saw that we were drinking something different. We were just drinking sparkling water, which came in a different glass to ask a question. They were like, oh, I've been really curious about that. Like, how's that going for you? How do you feel? Blah, blah, blah. So it can be something positive. That said, I, I know we've kind of all mentioned different things. I started drinking sparkling water with lime or kombucha in a wine glass at the beginning of the pandemic. That was my, like, if I really wanted a glass of wine, if I was like, oh my gosh, I just had the worst day. It tricked my mind. And did you guys find that was actually, I know Molly, you talked about like having tasty beverages, but there was something to like, what do they call it when it when you take a pill that's not really a pill? Oh, placebo. A placebo effect. Thank you. Which is a total real thing, by the way, yeah. to reduce anxiety and stuff like that. If I put kombucha in a wine glass that looked and tasted like wine, but it wasn't alcohol, like it was so helpful for me in the beginning. Yeah, totally. I was a big Route 44, Sonic Drive-In. The cherry limey, like that was my go-to. If I could have one of those at three o'clock in the afternoon and it would take me through to like 6 p.m., that was my jam. How about you? Yeah, for the first few for the first few months, I just kind of stuck to bubble water and lime and lemon. But now I don't know. There's so much stuff that's out there now. Like there's so many non-alcoholic beers. There's so many great like non-alcoholic liqueur or liquor. And so I'm like open and wanting to try it all and make like really fun, cute mocktails. And I also love that a lot of the restaurants that I have in my area and when we travel, I'm finding they have a really an extensive mocktail list. And 
Oftentimes, those mocktails have a little bit more sugar than I typically like, but I do find that when everyone else around me is ordering a cocktail and then I order my like interestingly named mocktail, I just feel like there isn't as much of a pause, you know, when I'm ordering. And so my pretty drink comes, their pretty drink comes, and like we're just kind of on with the conversation. And then from there, I'll usually get water. Same. Yeah. I, I have found, I recently traveled to LA and I went to a place that had one of those like non-alcoholic spirits. So there's a couple of brands. Mm-hmm. One, I think it's pronounced Liars, but I mean Lears. That's L-Y-R-E. We'll put a link in the show notes. They made a Bogroni. It was like a Negroni, but mm-hmm. like, but with non-alcoholic spirits. And honestly, I think it tasted better than it. <laughs> I was like so happy with it. And the people that I was with that were drinking regular alcohol wanted to taste it. And they were like, that's so good. And I was like, I know. And the other one that I like a lot as a replacement is a mojito. And it's really, you can just, it's muddled mint with sparkling water. It looks pretty and it feels very refreshing. Like those, that one's kind of a go-to and they can, anywhere you are, can make usually a mojito in a mocktail environment. The other thing that I want to mention that was really helpful for me, and we did a whole podcast on it, was CBD. Did you guys ever try CBD for kind of reducing your anxiety and helping through that transition stage? Or I find that I don't use it nearly as much now, but I, it was really helpful for me at the beginning and during the pandemic to take the edge off, but in a health promoting sort of way. Yeah. I never consistently use CBD. I definitely did try it. But when my anxiety was bad, I resorted to taking an anti-anxiety medication. So that's kind of what helped me got through the hard part. (laughs) Yeah, I never really did CBD either. I got into meditation. So anytime that I would get stressed out, that was kind of like my alternative to drinking. It just really relaxed me and took my mind off of things. I, I, I'm i like an anti-meditation person. I think it's amazing. And it is backed by science as being so helpful, but I'm the kind of person that I'm like so neurotic and overthinker and a control freak that when I sit down to turn off my mind with intention, my mind like does mean things to me. So I have to do the breathing (laughs) exercises. It's like my version of meditation because it does clear my mind, but then I'm actively focused on something other than like, I'm sitting here not thinking about anything. (laughs) But Ali, I'm so glad that you brought up anti-anxiety medication because I did want to also kind of think through this for people a little bit. So I think a lot of us have a stigma about medication, prescription medication, Mm -hmm. or even taking CBD over the counter to help, like whatever it might be. I think a lot of us think that they're failing or that there's some sort of mental health stigma if they choose to take especially a prescription medication. And what's interesting to me is that there's no stigma around the idea of drinking to take the edge off. So what we're choosing to do is instead of supporting our body with things that are created by science, supported by medicine to help with the problem that we have, we're choosing to something else, which ultimately really costs more, both in our physical sense, our mindset sense, and our cash flow sense to replace, you know, prescription medication with alcohol. And it's kind of an analogy that I used on a show a while ago where if someone was feeling really stressed out and they thought to themselves like, oh, I could either drink booze 
or I could have a bowl of ice cream. And on the other side, I know I would feel better that almost always they would choose the path of drinking alcohol instead of eating ice cream. That comes from like a diet culture mindset. Yet we know for a fact that like the alcohol is worse for us than having like a bowl of ice cream or whatever it might be. Right. And again, I don't want to encourage that as like the only coping mechanism because then you're getting into like a different kind of cycle that can be problematic. But I bring that up because we need to evaluate the choices that we're making and why society believes they're more acceptable. And I think, you know, as we self-reflect to become the best versions of ourselves, that involves like trying to shut out as much noise as we can about what culture or our friends or whoever it is thinks is better and more ask yourself what you want and what feels better for you, which can be really mm -hmm. difficult. And the other thing that I would kind of conclude with is this idea of community. So I know, Ali, you've talked about it and you both have coaching and part of that is to have a community and a safe space of someone that you can talk to about these things. Like I said, I had to get the words out of what I was feeling and how to plan with my sisters. I also, when I stopped drinking during the pandemic, had to get Matt on board. Not that I, you know, forced him into anything, but I kind of, my spouse, I wanted to talk to about what I was feeling, what choices I was making, why was I making them, and how did he feel about giving that a try with me? Because it made it so much easier to be able to go through it someone and to have the encouragement of someone and feel safe and supported because it is such a social activity and it is so addictive in this like cycle that if you don't have somewhere you can go when you're feeling some kind of way, then you're less likely to kind of be able to get through that storm. Like think about how much easier it is to navigate a boat if you have somebody else doing the sail and you're doing the driving versus like trying to do it all by yourself. I see you both shaking your head. So I'm going to ask for you kind of each to touch on this and to talk about kind of your communities and your work a little bit. And if there's anything else that we didn't talk about that you want to get into, Ali, do you want to start? Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love everything that you just shared all the way back to like the anxiety medication and then to your husband, but back to the anxiety medication. It's just, for me, it was the tool that I needed to get me out of that hole that anxiety kind of put me in. And then once I was at this state where I felt like I could function, I made it my job to find other ways to cope with anxiety. And that's what actually led me to the work that I'm doing today as an embodiment coach. So, you know, I'm really big on the breath work and all the meditation and everything that is science-based, but it feels a little bit more woo-woo, but it is really life-changing and amazing ways to cope with sitting on the edge. And, you know, I actually have a partner who still drinks alcohol, but supports my journey 1000% because he saw me at my worst when I was struggling with anxiety. And so when I, and during my panic attack that led to me waking up the next morning, choosing to live alcohol free for the rest of my life. But so he's very supportive, right? So, you know, if you think to yourself like, wow, like I don't think my spouse or my partner or best friend or whatever would never support me. Like if the conversations are had and you express truly what's going on and the reasons why you want to do what you do, the support will be there. Part of the work that I do as a wellness coach is I work with all women who are ready to essentially evaluate their relationship with alcohol. Again, 
Uh, you don't need to have that rock bottom moment, but you might need support because it is kind of hard to find communities sometimes. Like I said, you know, people will support you, but it can be a little bit uncomfortable at first. And that uncomfort can, you know, is hard to feel sometimes. So I support people as they take a look at the reasons as to why they drink, what they can do instead of drinking to take that edge off. I help them prepare to be in those social situations. Like we did the role play. That's something that I do with my clients and kind of help them gain a new perspective on what life really could be like without alcohol or if they get to that place of really like drinking with intention. And then I do a lot of, you know, kind of working with clients once they've gotten to that place of, you know, setting new goals and kind of getting them to this new space with this fresh new outlook on life. How about you, Molly? I feel like community is extremely important. And for me, so I quit right before the pandemic hit. And the pandemic was actually a blessing to me because like you, I'm an introvert and it was like, yay, I don't have to be around people anymore. (laughs) And I mean, it prevented me from really going anywhere. You couldn't go anywhere. There was nothing open. So it was actually really great for me. And, but you know, once things kind of started opening up, it was like, okay, I really need some sort of community here. And there's a lot, there's so many places that you can go. Like Ali alluded to, there's like social media. Yeah, it does get a bad rap, but if you just search for like sober or sobriety, or if you're men in recovery or women in recovery or anything like that, there's a lot of people. It's an interesting community because it's like just because you and I don't drink, like we're best friends automatically, you know, like I'm going to call you when I'm having a bad day and be like, Stacey, look, this is not going so well. And you're going to take that call because me and you have that in common. It's just an interesting type of community. There's AA. So a lot of people knock AA. I left AA because it wasn't really my thing. I felt like it was a very masculine type energy. And so I left AA. But I mean, those are people that share the same stories. If you're looking to meet somebody that shares the same stories, you know, you can pop into a meeting. There's, you know, hundreds of them online. There's Dharma Recovery. There's Smart Recovery. There's like all of these groups out there that offer free like Zoom meetings. There's, I would encourage you to figure out like what interests you. Okay. So if you're interested in tennis or you really like yoga or you really like go to those places and then start opening up and getting vulnerable with people, you know, you don't have to go out and be like, Hey, everybody, look, I'm sober. Does anybody want to be my friend? You know, you don't have to be ridiculous like that, but you know, just start having conversations and maybe slip it in and you'll be super surprised how many people are out there that are also experiencing the same journey and get to know them. And so now you have something in common. You both love yoga and you're both sober. Like now you have another best friend and you've got these online communities. I feel like if you don't have a community, it's going to be really lonely. People that have never experienced, you know, addiction or drinking, whether it was, you know, a couple nights a week or every single day, like they just don't get it. So being able to share and experience your real life struggles with somebody that has been there is so important. Like I can't stress that enough. So make it a priority to, to find your tribe, find your people that have similar things in common with you. They also have sobriety on the mind. They may not be completely sober, but just start opening up and put yourself out there. I love the idea of finding your tribe in 
general, because I do feel like in and of itself that has so many benefits. So I want to remind our listeners, if you want to make Allie and Molly part of your tribe, what I did there, um, you can find Allie at livingmywholelife.com and on Instagram under living full life as well. And then you can find Molly at asyouarelifecoaching.com or on Instagram as sober underscore mober. And Molly also has more content that you can find on her This Is Sober podcast. And she mentioned she's been on other podcasts as well. So if this is a topic that's interesting to you, there are endless podcasts that you can go listen to. I know Ali dropped a couple into our reference resources as well of podcasts that she listened to that were helpful for her. So we'll put all of those, including a couple of books and all of the articles and studies that we've referenced in the show notes at realeverything.com. And listeners, I want to thank you for being here today. I know that your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal change is something that I don't take lightly. It's a powerful thing for you to be here and to be open to listening and learning, especially if you're feeling guilt or shame or anything like that from the things that we've talked about. Please, from the hearts of all three of us, let go of that. It does not serve you in any sort of way. In fact, it's only creating more stress and cortisol for you and going to drive some of those maladaptive coping skills. So instead, you know, find your community and you can listen to more of what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view, which is the best place to ask questions and follow up as well. And if you like the show that we create and produce ourselves, that's a great way to support the show. But so is just leaving a review or hitting subscribe in whatever podcast that you're using so that others can find us as well. Ladies, I want to thank you so much for being here today. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners before we say adieu? Which is a great wordle word. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Stacey, for having us. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.